This is the Kona Edge, the home of Ironman triathletes who dream of qualifying for the World Championships on the Big Island. Welcome back to yet another edition of the Kona Edge. It's awesome to have you with us and uh, another great story to share with you today. Before I get into Jeff Fafar's story, thank you for listening. Lots of great feedback again last week uh, from Kathy Winkler's story. They keep coming, emails and tweets and uh, Facebook messages, keep them coming. Uh, just look for the Kona Edge online uh, on social media. You can also email me, brad at thekonaedge.com. But without further ado, let's get straight into today's podcast. And it's a great pleasure to welcome Jeff Fafar onto the show. Welcome on to this edition of the Cone Edge. We head to Mississippi now, and it's a great pleasure to welcome Jeff Fafar onto the podcast. Jeff, welcome. Nice to nice to touch base. Hey, Brad. How are you doing? Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Oh, most welcome, Jeff. You you've got a, a fascinating story, and I can't wait to share it with uh, with our listeners today. And uh, I chat to, funnily enough, I chat to a, a lot of teachers on the Cone Edge. I, I, I was starting to think that uh, in order to qualify for the Big Island, you needed to be a teacher. But you're the second pilot I'm speaking to, so I'm starting to think there might be something in being pilot. Yeah. So it's. Uh... Uh, perhaps I don't know. <laughs> it's it's definitely um, the, the the pilot job has very unique um, work hours compared to other people. So um, it it definitely does allow us some time to uh, time to train. Cool. Well, Jeff, I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on that in in a moment because that that does I think is is is. Uh, some unique challenges to your situation but let's take a step back and and look at your journey into the sport of triathlon where did where did your your sort of love for the sport emanate from sure so uh i moved to um northern mississippi just outside of uh the memphis uh, metropolitan area back in uh late 2005 after uh, i got hired with uh, fedex uh here in memphis and um, had never really, didn't have any kind of an endurance background. I never really swam um, or biked. Um, had did, done just a little bit of casual running up to that point. Um, and my wife was working at a gym that had a indoor triathlon. And so she came home and, and told me about it. And I decided, oh, that kind of sounds like something to, to kill some time. And uh, decided I'd start training for that. Um, and, uh, at first I really couldn't even swim, you know, down and back in a 25 yard pool <laughs> to start. Uh, and, the the indoor try, it was, uh, you did a 500 yard swim in the pool. Then you ran across the gym and hopped on one of their stationary bikes and did 12 miles on that bike. And then you ran and hopped on a treadmill and did a two mile run on the treadmill. And, uh, so you really didn't need any, um, equipment for the most part. It was really easy. Um, I did that, and I was kind of instantly hooked. I just said, "Man, I really I want to go get a bike and and try to do one of these for real." It's a big step up from a, an indoor triathlon in a gym to to an Ironman. Uh, how long till till I mean, how long was that progression? Talk talk to me about going from that to to your first Ironman. Sure. Yeah. So I think I was pretty pretty smart about the way I went about it. Um, so in two thousand six, I did that that indoor triathlon. I believe was in. Um, uh, it was either February or March um, of uh, of that year, and so in 2006, I did four sprint triathlons, um, 
and that was it for the first year. I'd done a bunch of little running races and stuff, but uh, kind of got, got into it slow. In 2009, I did my first half Ironman, um, uh, or half distance, at uh, the Gulf Coast Triathlon down in Florida, uh, and did quite a few other sprints and Olympics that year. Uh, and then finally in 2008, I took my first crack at the Ironman and did Ironman Florida. So that's quite a quite a stretch between starting out in the sport and and sort of just finding your feet to to your first Ironman. Would you would you advise that for for new triathletes? I I think especially so if if you're really new uh, to a lot of the sport. Like I said, for myself, I had run um, a marathon prior to getting into triathlon, but I was really quite casual. I, I think um, that first marathon, I, I was thinking, oh, if I could break four hours, that would be great. And I think I might have done, uh, did a 415 or something like that. Um, so I, I was not fast by any means, and, and I wouldn't have called myself an endurance athlete at all. So, uh, and then with the swimming and the biking being completely new, um, kind of gaining that race experience and um uh, just taking it slowly and, and over time, I think, was really, really beneficial. Uh, and I, I learned a lot of really good lessons along the way that that allowed me to continue to progress. And, and I think probably avoid getting hurt and really, really enjoy the sport along the way to where I, you know, 12 years later, I'm, I'm still just as passionate about it now as I was back then. Because that is often the case, isn't it? That, that someone jumps into it really going ho and, and they end up doing an Ironman or two or three even in, in their first year. And, and, and they, they stick around for a couple of years and then you never see them again. It's, uh, it, it's going in that way. It, it's easy to pick up uh, and get burnt out, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and I do think you see that. Um, the, oops, sorry about that. One of my dogs is barking. No, no worries. Um, <laughs> I, I think that, um, you know, the, the unfortunate part of... Uh, the triathlon world right now is for the bulk of the population, especially that's that's doesn't have exposure to it, is they really see triathlon. And, and you know, if you tell anyone, hey, I, I do triathlons, and, and they say, oh, you know, th they immediately think of Ironman, and that's all they know. They don't really know about short course. And, and I, for me, actually, um, when you look at uh, – I've done seven Ironmans now over uh, – 12 seasons, I think it was, um, since 2006, and three of them were in one year. So I tend to actually spread out my Ironmans quite a fair bit. I find that really interesting because I, I chat to a lot of athletes, and and, and, and particularly the, the good ones are, are, are very much A-type personalities, and it's go, go, go the whole time. The, your, your, the strategy for spreading them out that much, what's the, what's the thinking behind that, Jeff? Uh, well, so a good part of it is... Um, it is the specific training for Ironman is, I mean, it, it, if you want to do well, um, there there is a uh, certain extent of, of volume that's mixed in there, and it takes a lot of time. Um, you know, I'm uh, I'm married, my wife races uh, triathlon as well, uh, and we have a uh, my son's going to be ten uh, coming up shortly this year, and um, so I think racing Ironman year in year out just takes a lot of time but but more so um for me is i'm not a very small guy either uh, i'm at uh, typically race between 170 to 180 pounds and i think doing a lot of ironmans just beats me up because um, i 
<laughs> as the A type, I do race a lot. Um, we'll see. I, I believe Kona next year will probably. I might work it out to, so it will be uh, my 100th triathlon. So I've only done set. It'll be my eighth eighth Ironman, but my 100th triathlon. Oh, that's brilliant! I think that's that's fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> when, when did when did Kona get onto to the radar? I mean, was that was was that just also a natural progression? I mean, from your your first one, when did you think you know what this World Championship thing sounds cool? Um. Well, I think it was. Um, I had met a bunch of local triathletes when I first got started and you know, everybody starts talking about the Ironman. At first I was thinking there's absolutely no way. I mean, I just, whoever wants to go that far must just be, you know, crazy. Uh, and I remember training that first year doing, going out for a, a, you know, the first, we had a large group that first Ironman I did, um, that were training for it. And the first time we did a 70 mile ride and then a 90 mile ride and a hundred mile ride. I mean, I, I just thought this is, ludicrous you know i don't know who would really want to do this um and i'd always had i was like oh man going to kona would be that would be incredible but it seemed so so far off um when i went to go do florida that year so i actually progressed to where um i think if i would have had a really really good day i would have been somewhere between like a 955 to 1015 uh is what i originally hoped for for that very first one which is still remarkably good in the grand scheme of things, but it's still for, for that time at Florida, it would probably have been about 50 minutes off of what I'd need to do to qualify for Kona at Florida. So it wasn't, uh, although it was fast, it wasn't, uh, it was really hard to see where I would find that next, next step at that point. That I think for a lot of people is the, the, the thing that's, really holds them back with getting to Kona is is when you go as hard as you can, particularly in your first one or two, and you go fairly fast, and then you look at the, the, the slots that were taken in your age group, and you think to yourself, there is no ways. Where, where am I going to get that time from? Where, where did you, I mean, when you went back and, and sort of analyzed that race and, and, and targeted Kona, where, where did you think you could make up more time, and, and where did you make up more time? Well, 2008 in Florida became a very interesting uh, experience. Um, so to, to start with that, uh, I actually, uh, there was a, a group of us that went out to have lunch um, the day before at a, at a sandwich shop. And uh, out of it, um, a large number of us got sick. Um, I was the only one actually racing, but I got food poisoning quite, quite badly. <laughs> so I ended up actually finishing the race in um, uh, a little over uh, 12 hours and 20 minutes um, and spent over an hour um, not moving up on my bike. I actually fell asleep on the side of the road. I had just a really, really rough time. And, and um, it was really remarkable to get through it. And the funny thing was that it was very inspiring because it, by the end of the race, and I realized, wow, I was going to finish this thing. Um, I was elated just across the finish line, where I think had I had a normal day, not have gotten sick. And say maybe I crossed the line at 1020, I might have been absolutely crushed in my head that I missed my target. But when I ended up getting really, really sick with the food poisoning, um, it became a whole, whole different thing. It was especially since it was my first one. Um, I really, really wanted to see if I if I could at least do it, even though I was sick. And when I showed up on the on the swim start that morning, I thought there was no way I was going to even reach the finish line. So that that was a, a an experience that was that was unique because of that. Um, 
But then when I did look at what the, the guys did that qualified and I saw how far out I still was, you know, I figured I had a really, really long way to go. So I, I really just spent the next couple of years um, training and, and racing a lot of sprints. And I did some halves along the way. Um, I did a couple of ITU World Championships um, with uh, age group World Championships for sprint and Olympic distance. And all that, that time, I would find either somebody in my local community uh, or somebody else who I knew was just a little faster than me. And it may not be getting to the podium, but I was just trying to see if I could beat that person consistently for a race or two. And then at, once I could beat them, then I'd find the next person and the next person, and the next person. Before I knew it, um, at least in these local races, I was starting to compete for the overall win in these small local local races. Um, and I found I was getting faster and faster. And so about in the 2012 timeframe, um, I started thinking, wow, I, you know, if I really focused and and put everything together, I might actually be able to try and qualify to get to Kona. And that's kind of when the really 2012 was when the, the idea, the idea started that I may try to try to see if I can get there. Jeff, do you think racing those shorter, faster ones at the high intensity have, have had a, a big impact on your, your speed over the longer distance. In, in, and, and the point I'm trying to get to is, do you think that's a mistake that some triathletes make that, that struggle to qualify that to get to that time so they try and just race more Ironmans harder as opposed to going back and, and working on their, their speed as opposed to just trying to race long and hard the whole time? Um, I think it could be. Uh, there, I mean, I think racing Ironman has a unique skill set in its own right. Um, and the problem with it is, regardless of of your training days there's there's pretty unique things that happen uh over you know uh, a nine to you know 11 hour period for for some of the older age groups uh, maybe even 12 hours that you really just can't duplicate in training um so i think you do have to get out and race some of them um to to see that but i i do agree with you i think when um if, if somebody thinks, oh, I'm trying to qualify for Conan, and for whatever reason they, they miss, they have a bad day, they have a mechanical, just something's off, or, or uh, you know, unfortunately now it's getting so hard to qualify, especially for a lot of the, the really young or the older age groups and m- most of the women's age group, you almost have to win <laughs> to get a Kona spot. So even if you have a good race and just somebody faster showed up, you know, a lot of people I think say, well, I'm just, I'll go try to do whatever the next one I can get in. And before you know it, they've done three, four Ironmans in a year, and you throw two or three years of those together, and that's a that's a lot of specific training that it misses a lot of fast training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's so, also yeah. the, the 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 cumulative effect of that. I mean, it's one thing doing three or four Ironmans in a year, but it's a totally different story racing three or four in a, in a year. Absolutely, absolutely, for sure. And I think um, the probably the difference between a lot of um, age groupers that that don't maybe have a, a long um, athletic age in the sport, um, they they do have some kind of background in sport, so they you know, haven't necessarily just come from nothing where uh, I didn't have any endurance background. So it took me a really long time to develop and 
it's hard to go fast and go long at the same time. <laughs> you know, it's uh, the, the chances of, of doing it successfully are pretty poor, uh, and the chances of, of breaking down, um, you know, dramatically go up. So I think if you're trying to, to learn to go fast, you almost have to stay shorter. And then as you once you can get fast, then you can progress that into staying fast for longer. Yeah, some of us battle to go long and fast generally. So <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to hear. We, I'm not the only one who struggles with that. Uh, Jeff, let's talk about your situation, and, and particularly from a, a training perspective. It's, it's one thing talking about the races, but you've got a, a fairly unique sort of work situation that you're a, a pilot, you, you fly lots, and, and, and how you sort of fit your training in is, is quite interesting. You mentioned to me before we started uh, the recording that uh, managing fatigue and, and sleep is probably one of your biggest challenges. Tell me a little bit about uh, your, your work situation and, and how you manage to fit training, training in, in between your, your, your flights. Uh, for sure. Yeah. So with the, the way the, the FedEx system works, we do a, a, a large amount of our flying in the middle of the night. So I may be um, showing up down in the lobby of a hotel at, at uh, seven or eight in the evening, um, flying much of the night and then getting back to a hotel lobby at, um, you know, five or six in the morning somewhere. Uh, and there'll typically be a break somewhere there, uh, in the middle of the night where I can get about an hour and a half or two hour nap. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really, you know, I'd get to a hotel sleep and then, I mean, I guess it's, it's very similar to anybody else. It's just my hours are, are kind of different. Um, the, the very unique part of, of training on the road, um, running is not too bad. Um, you can typically run just about anywhere. Um, swimming, I just have to prepare beforehand and look and see where the pools are. Uh, I have a membership with uh, a local YMCA and luckily we stay in um, downtowns of, of most of all our cities. So there's almost always a YMCA within uh, within reach of, of where we're staying. Uh, so I can typically find a pool to swim in um, since hotel pools are, are far too small to, to do any real training. Um, but the, the other thing I have used with it is uh, um, I have a swim tether, which is, you know, basically a belt with a rubber band that you hook to the side of a pool. So if I just have a, you know, a 10 meter long hotel pool, I'll just strap myself to the pool and swim in place. Yeah. It, <laughs> and that's. It's, it's funny you say that because uh, Chris Montross, who we've spoken to on the podcast before, who's also a pilot, that's how he does his swim training. So uh, if, if this is the first time you listen to this podcast, that might sound uh, quite strange to you, but uh, it, you're not the only one who does it, Jeff. No, and it, it really, I mean, it, it's kind of a last resort for me because if you ever thought that running on a treadmill or <laughs> sitting on a bike trainer is painful, try just staring at the bottom of a pool and not moving. <laughs> it's 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 a unique experience, but I mean, it, uh, it, it will do if I have to. Um, and then finally, the last one is, is uh, the cycling. So it, when I trained for that very first um, Ironman, I'd actually, I did a, um, a five hour ride on a upright hotel stationary bike. Um, and it was brutal, <laughs> you know, but I've done quite a bit on, on weird hotel bikes here and there. Um, but in uh, the end of 2012 i ended up buying a uh, a folding bike uh, made by a company out in oregon and it's actually quite a nice bike it's not like the bromptons that you know you see people riding around town on with three gears or even a, a single speed and a flat bar it's actually a 
the geometry of a, of a real road bike with drop handlebars and everything. And, and, um, but it all folds up into a standard suitcase. It's got 20 inch wheels. And now I've ridden all over the country on that thing. And I do a lot of my training on that. So I guess it all just boils down to planning and, and, and making sure you you're prepared. And, and even though you're traveling a lot and you're training in different locations, it's pretty much the same for anyone that, uh, if you're going to get a, a good solid week's training in, you, you've got to fit it in around your life and, and make do with what you've got. And, and that's really, I think the, the biggest thing is, is, uh, you know, I skip out on um, maybe going out to uh, restaurants or going out to the bars with my crew or something like that. I mean, I just uh, I have different priorities and, and I make sure, you know, it, the funny thing is um, I, I have found that sometimes on a trip, it is easier to fit in the training without interruptions than it is at home. Because uh, if I'm at a hotel, I basically just have to worry about, you know, sleeping, eating and training and making sure that I'm I'm prepared to go to work, where at home, you know, you've got all your honeydews and playing with your son and doing 8,000 other, there's always something you could do that could distract you um, and, and eat up time before you know it. So it actually could sometimes be easier to, to train on the road. <laughs> it's actually, it's a good point you make there too, because there's, there's also the guilt factor when you're home, uh, and, and it's the, sure. like, I could spend four or five hours out on the bike, or I could be at home with the family, and, and, and that is something I think a lot of age groupers grapple with. Uh, for certain. You know, one of the things we've uh, I've done over the years, and, and I think I did my first um, training camp, um, was uh, in 2010, I went out to uh, Boulder for a week with uh, Endurance Corner. And one of the things they 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 do is they set up this uh, uh, training environment for the camp where you, you show up and everything's kind of uh, planned out. Um, you know, all the training rides, all the nutrition, all of the food. Um, and they highly encourage it that, that uh, you know, if you can just clear out your your life stress so that you can just show up you'll be able to put in some pretty pretty decent training and um, your body can absorb a ton when you remove just normal life stress so uh, like you said if it, it put in a really big week at home can be sometimes challenging not because of the lack of time but because of the huge amount of distractions mm. Talk to me about the sleep because that that's quite a quite an interesting one, and, and you've obviously been doing this for a while, so your your body is probably accustomed to it. But for for a lot of triathletes, uh, I mean, the, the rest is almost as important as the training, and and sleep is a big part of that. Is is that something you sure. are are really sort of set on that you've got to get X amount of hours in, or, or are you are you one of those guys who are lucky enough who can function on on three or four hours and maybe a day or two, and then and then get a get a decent night in. No, I'm certainly not. I, I am very, very grumpy if I don't get sleep. Um, the, the, the problem with my job is though that it may be broken. Um, you know, I might get seven or eight hours of sleep, but I might sleep for an hour before I show in the evening for work. Then I might get two hours, uh, a two hour nap in the hub uh, when we're flying through in the middle of the night. And then I might sleep for, you know, four or five hours at the hotel before I wake up and, and go do my training and stuff. So although I might get all the uh, you know that many hours of sleep when I'm when I'm traveling on the road like that um, I'll it, it'll just be kind of broken up and um, I guess it's just something I've adapted to and and been okay with um, uh, Justin the uh, my buddy who coaches me has has always uh, kind of been in bewilderment that I'm able to uh, 
getting the amount of training I do with the unusualness of my schedule. Um, cause also when I'm, I, I also teach in the, the training department and when I'm home one week, uh, like for January, uh, next week I'll be teaching from 6 PM till midnight, almost, uh, five days. And then the following week I'll be teaching from noon to six. And then the following week I'll be teaching from six in the morning till noon most days. So, you know, it's, I, those are actually harder than I think being on the road because it's just constantly variable from, from day to day. Yeah. Jay, I've got, I mean, just listening to this, I've got massive respect for you because I, but many years ago worked at a lot of overnight radio sh- show slots and they were also, it wasn't always the same time. And, and I think if it is the same time, it does make it easier because you can get into some sort of ro- routine. But what you're talking about, sure. I mean, it's just all over the show. You, you wake up and you're not quite sure if you, if you should be having breakfast or, or dinner. It's just, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's weird. Yeah, for and, sure. and, I, and I know how much of, of a toll that's taken on my body. And I wasn't training for triathlons back then. I can tell you that much. But uh, yeah, I, massive respect. That's all I've got to say because that is just phenomenal. But let's, let's talk about Kona itself and and the big island what, what's what makes it so special jeff i mean you you've been uh what, what what is the the attraction to to racing in in hawaii well i i think the biggest thing is um kind of the mystique of of the race it's just such a magical place um you know when you when you go out there you're just racing against the best um i mean um, a lot of times, even if you go to a big Ironman race, uh, there, there may be a handful of, if you're trying to qualify, there may be a half dozen or a dozen guys that you're really competing against. Um, when you go out to the, to the big Island, if you're having, even if you've done really well at, at some Ironman race to qualify, if you just have a little bit of an off day, you are rapidly going backwards. Um, <laughs> you know, I've, Ten, uh, I'm one of the faster cyclists uh, out there, and when um, when I went to Kona in 2014, I remember I just kind of I felt a little off. I, I think I was just tired that year. It was my third Ironman that year, and um, not not really feeling awesome. Um, I wasn't riding slow by any means, but uh, I, I definitely wasn't riding super fast. But I mean, how many people were passing me was incredible. Um, you know, you just not, you get to a point, if you're a really strong cyclist, you don't get used to being passed very often and you go out to Kona and, and everyone is fast. <laughs> How humbling is that? So, I mean, you, you, you're training and you, you're racing in races where you, you're a big fish and uh, all of a sudden you, you get to Kona and uh, it's not so much. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting for sure. Um, and, and you know, I think uh, any of the world championship type races, uh, you get that. Now, Kona has its own with with the history of Kona, and I think the just the the beauty of the island, but then also the the qualification process has become so tedious and, and hard to qualify that it's just it really is an accomplishment to to get there. So I think there's a big part of that as well. Let, let's talk about the, the biggest life lessons that Iron Man have, has has taught you over the years. What what's, what what do you reckon it's it's taught you in the greater scheme of things? Probably the the biggest thing is just um, that what what you can achieve if you uh, are persistent and consistent and really put your mind to it. Um, you know, it it may or may not be. Um, 
qualifying for Kona or whatnot. But if you if you put in the hard work, um, you know, many times you can achieve what you want to do. Um, and, and I think that applies in many areas of life, not just into uh, triathlon. Yeah, I love that. Persistent and consistent. Uh, I mean, two, two simple words. But if uh, if you apply that in, in anything, uh, you've got a pretty good chance of being successful. Absolutely. You show up and put up. That's uh, what it boils down to. As as far as your your sort of achievements in in the sport that you're most proud of, um, you know the this last uh, season has been remarkable for me. Uh, the 2016 season uh, was by far the the best performances I had across um, across pretty much all distances, um, and, and so I think it was uh, a collection of performances over this pe- previous season um and it was um it started with uh, a race in in october called the american triple t which is uh, a grouping of it's basically an iron man spread out over four days um where i did very well and was extremely happy with the performance there um then moving into uh, the later season i was prepping to go to um the itu uh, age group world championships in Cozumel. Uh, and I was, uh, had a, a lifetime performance, uh, there and, and actually earned a silver medal, um, in the age group. Um, and about, um, eight weeks prior to Ironman Louisville, um, my wife actually said she, she would love to go back to Hawaii. So I started looking at some races and, um, I said, Oh, it looks like Louisville's still open for this year. And she said, well, I think that would be a really good course for you. And I took that as she wanted me to sign up. So <laughs> I think I kind of misread her, but uh, lo and behold, I ended up doing that race, which was three weeks after Cozumel. And without uh, a lot of really specific preparation, at least on the run, um, I was able to pull out um, a, a PR for the iron distance there and and get my uh, Kona qualification. So, And, and she got a trip to, uh, to Hawaii. She did, yeah. yeah. So the whole family will be going uh, next year. That's part of the fun of it too. I think is is uh, you know letting your your support team you know um, relish in, in your victories as well. Yeah, absolutely. Let let's. I mean, on that season, what what, what do you reckon it it's been? Why why do you think you had such a good season? Did you change anything? Is uh, I mean, what what do you attribute that to? Um. You know, I think it's been just a slow culmination over time. Um, it's funny. I actually just pulled together um, all of my my training numbers, uh, I, which I've done every year um, since I've started. And uh, although I didn't start training for Louisville until um, about eight weeks out, and, and I didn't really put in the run volume specifically for an Ironman, uh, this was my – um, almost equal to the hours that I put in in 2014 training for Kona um, and trying to qualify. So, you know, I, I think it was just a being able to absorb those that training over time, which if I tried to put in those hours two or three years into the sport, I'm sure I would have just completely blown apart and been broken. Um, so I think it's really just a culmination of many years back to back of consistent training. 
Yeah, I think that's such an important point, and, and, and I think one that many triathletes miss is they, they feel it's all about volume, and particularly early on in their career. And, uh, yeah, it's not. It's, it's like you say, it's just bolting year after year of solid training. It's not necessarily doing tons of training, but it's being consistent and, and building on that foundation year after year, and, and that's what gets you the results. Sure, sure. And I, I think the last part was um, starting to, to maybe even um, – you know, I think that there's a there's a big difference between ego and confidence. And I think, um, um, you know, what I really started to develop was confidence that that maybe I could perform um, when if I put it all together. So, you know, being willing to go out there and, and um, really see what I could do on race day with knowing that there is a small chance that it could all go very south quickly, <laughs> you know. Um, but you've got to, sometimes you've got to, got to lay it out there and, and see if it's, if it's going to work for you. Yeah, that's exactly it. You sometimes you've got to risk it all to win it all. So, uh, Jeff, I think that's a great uh, point to leave it at. I look forward to getting you back on to, to talk a little bit about your, your swim bike run and, and also your nutrition. But, uh, I think we'll save that for another day. Thank you for your time today. Much appreciated. Awesome, Brad. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Kona Edge. Don't forget to connect with us on social media. Simply search for the Kona Edge.